This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Good morning. I'm Charles Osgood, and this is Sunday Morning. We're taking a journey this morning to an exotic land, sometimes known as the Forbidden Kingdom. But despite that nickname, and despite the fact that few people travel there, it is a place that could hold an important key to human happiness, as Barry Peterson will show us in our cover story. Bhutan, high in the Himalayas, where everything from dress to decoration maintains a tradition, and where happiness is a government goal in this cell phone, internet world. What do you think is the most important value for happiness? It's about love, compassion, uh, looking out for others. Lessons in life from the country that has embraced gross national happiness later on Sunday morning. Bonnie Raitt is a music legend with plenty of hits to her credit and a lot left to say. This morning, she'll be looking back and ahead with our Tracy Smith. That's what I'm talking about! Bonnie Raitt has been rocking the house for more than four decades, and she doesn't want to stop or even slow down. So what does the future hold? More of this, I hope. My dad was still touring when he was 80, so was B.B. King. They can do it, I can do it. The legendary Bonnie Raitt, ahead this Sunday morning. 
Kathy Bates has played any number of movie characters over the years, but it's a health challenge of the present that's putting her true character to the test, as Lee Cowan will be telling us. You dirty bird. How could you? There are certain roles you can't imagine anyone else playing other than Kathy Bates. Misery Chastain cannot be dead. But her toughest role yet may be the one she's had to play after surviving cancer. Twice. I really was uh, furious and, and didn't want to be in this body anymore. Kathy Bates and her newest battle ahead on Sunday morning. Could it anyone? Or sport that comes from a fantasy book, its popularity is very real. Anna Werner offers us a crash course. Welcome to the U.S. Quidditch World Cup 8. That's right, Quidditch. It's a sport with six hoops, four balls, and one of these. And if this reminds you a bit of Harry Potter, there's a reason for that. Just ask author J.K. Rowling. It had to be on broomsticks. I, I mean, it just had to be. Later on Sunday morning. Seth Doan talks with a very driven actor, Eric Bana. Connor Knighton is on the trail at Biscayne National Park. Faith Saley confesses to being an approval junkie. Next, inside the Forbidden Kingdom. And later... I just thought to myself, there's no way this is going to work. This is going to be so dumb. Real wizardry. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. That's Prince William and his wife Kate on Friday visiting the Tiger's Nest, a Buddhist monastery high in the mountains of the tiny Asian nation of Bhutan. Far from being the forbidden kingdom of legend, our Barry Peterson now takes us to a land very much engaged in one pursuit above all, the pursuit of happiness. It's been called the forbidden kingdom, but it could be Shangri-La. Hidden away for centuries amid the soaring majesty of the Himalayas. Surrounded by industrial giants, China and India, Bhutan has always gone its own way. The economy is still based on agriculture, and it has a constitution that mandates 60% of the land must be forest. The actual total is 72%. No overdevelopment here. Welcome to Bhutan, ladies and gentlemen. Our aircraft has just landed at Paro International Airport. So, coming off the plane, you breathe in some of the freshest air on the planet as you drift into a past that is always present. You'll encounter Buddhist monks and landscapes strewn with prayer flags. By royal decree, even new buildings must be decorated with traditional carved wood and mythical creatures. And there's something else mandated by royal decree, happiness. That's right, in the 1970s, Bhutan 
instead of an emphasis on gross national product, embraced an official policy of gross national happiness. Your Royal Highness. So when we met American and Oxford-educated Prince Dasho Jigil, brother of the king, we asked him, how does the monarchy define it? Gross national happiness is being able to um, find the right balance between uh, economic well-being and uh, mm -hmm. emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. Family, um, friends, environment that you're surrounded by, mm -hmm. the culture and traditions that you share, the values that you hold. Rush hour weary Americans can marvel that in the largest city, Tempu, population 100,000, a traffic jam is about a dozen cars. Bhutan once had a stoplight. It was right here, the only stoplight in the whole country, but they decided it was too modern, so they took it out. They also decided they didn't want those icons of America's global reach, fast food restaurants. So in Bhutan, there are no McDonald's, no Burger King, not even a Starbucks. But change is coming, a high-tech invasion crossing Bhutan's lofty peaks. And this invasion of modern times was invited in. Television with American reruns and Bollywood soap operas from India came in 1999, followed by the internet and computer games that fascinate this 14-year-old. What do you like better, computer games or archery? I think computer games. Computer games? Because I have a passion for it. Have you tried archery? No. That's worrisome for a kingdom whose national sport is archery. School teacher Sodom Dorji's father taught him archery at age 10. Now, today, do children want to do archery or do they want to play on the internet? Most of the children, they, are not, they don't like to play this one. Does that mean that in Bhutan, archery might go away? Maybe. We are so worried about that. So as more of the outside world comes into Bhutan. How does that affect your country, your culture, the things that you cherish? There's both a plus and a minus uh, with uh, globalization and uh, us opening up our doors. Uh, but it's how we manage it and it's how we balance things. And uh, we can't really uh, swim against the tide. The traditional and the modern met this past Thursday when the Bhutanese royals opened up their doors to British royals William and Kate. She dressed in a cura, a blouse and skirt combination that is Bhutan's age-old style for women. For men, the traditional wear is called a go. As I discovered, it's a complicated belted robe, and putting it on is a two-person job. It's a go. But to go to Bhutan, not that easy. It limits international tourists. There were 57,000 last year, just slightly more people than visit Disney World in one day. Of the lucky few who make it here, most head for this monastery high up a mountain. 
This is the Tiger's Nest, Bhutan's number one tourist attraction. And when they say the journey is half the fun, that's not the half of it, but the journey to get here. Oops, 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 oops. It's a trek up 3,000 feet of elevation. First, on what you dearly hope are sure-footed horses, and when it gets steeper, by your own sure feet. And if you are very lucky, you might catch sight of a golden langur monkey having a leafy munch for lunch. It's enough to make anyone happy. What makes you happy? Hmm. Well, happiness is a very relative term, but uh, for me, um, uh, having positive energies and uh, being content with, uh, with myself. How important is making time for your family for happiness, do you think? Extremely important. I think I would put it on top of the list. Mm -hmm. He ought to know. Karma Satem is the former head of Bhutan's Gross National Happiness Commission. And there are important things for in one's life that contributes to one's happiness, which requires the investment of time more than money. To boost happiness, his commission ordered contemplation, two minutes of daily meditation in each school each day. And there are happiness helpful reminders along the roads and on the hillsides. Here, people take happiness seriously. For him, it's living in a peaceful country. She says it is being where nature and the mountains are preserved. In Bhutan, we, we still have our culture very intact and it is our day-to-day -day life here in Bhutan. So I think that's the most special thing. It is, we are the culture, you see. Perhaps that is the one lesson from this small and gentle Buddhist country. Happiness is not about hurrying through life or a trip to the mall or the next new car. Happiness, they will tell you here, is being content with what everyday life offers you every day. Ahead, just ducky. I kind of stand out in the crowd, don't I? Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And now, a page from our Sunday morning almanac. April 17, 1937, 79 years ago today. Today, animation went daffy. For that day saw the premiere of a Warner Brothers cartoon titled Porky's Duck Hunt. The cartoon followed Porky Pig as he attempted to bag a most unusual duck. A duck quite unwilling to follow the rules. Hey, that wasn't in the script. <laughs> Don't let it worry you, Skipper. <laughs> I'm just a crazy darn fool duck. <laughs> Actually, make that Daffy Duck in his very first film role. His first, but by no means his last. I kind of stand out in the crowd, don't I? Over the years and cartoons that followed, 
Daffy became a full-fledged star. You're despicable. He survived many an encounter with that other equally ineffective hunter, Elmer Fudd. What's up, Doc? Having any luck with those ducks? And he traded wisecracks aplenty <laughs> with his supposed rival, Bugs Bunny. Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck season. One thing Daffy and all his colleagues shared was the talent of the late Mel Blanc, who gave voice to them all. Standing at a storyboard years ago, he showed us how he did it. This Daffy is, is he's exhausted. He's looking for water. Water, water, water. oh, I'm in water. I can't stand that horrible thirst. Water, water. Mel Blanc died in 1989 at the age of 81. However, the animated menagerie he spoke for lives on as popular as ever. We need a fifth player. Hey, coach, listen, you got any more of that secret stuff? I think it's starting to wear off. Come to think of it, nothing daffy about that at all. Coming up, the World Cup of Quidditch. Quidditch, anyone? The brooms are racing at top speed this weekend in Columbia, South Carolina, where a big championship is underway. Not unlike last year's contest, which our Anna Warner attended, to see an imaginary game come to life. It's been nearly 20 years since the first Harry Potter book came out and proceeded to cast a spell over fans around the world. J.K. Rowling's creation became the most popular book series in publishing history, with over 450 million sold. And one of the biggest movie franchises in film history. Hello, Harry. Hi, Hagrid with nearly $8 billion in ticket sales. There you go. go ahead. And now, Pottermania has spawned another craze, one based on the high-flying fantasy game played by Harry and his friends called Quidditch, which has now jumped from the world of wizards to the playing fields of Rock Hill, South Carolina. And welcome to the U.S. Quidditch World Cup 8. Yes, real-world Quidditch complete with players riding broomsticks. Quidditch has exploded into the college scene and high school scene all over the world. It's absolutely amazing. Brooms up! It's even been the subject of a documentary called Mudbloods, a Harry Potter reference, of course. People get passionate about it because they grew up with Harry Potter. The documentary introduces Alex Benepee. He's one of the founders of Quidditch. All right, everyone, listen up. I have been playing since we started the sport in 2005. That was when a classmate at Middlebury College turned to him with an idea. This weekend, we're going to try and play real-life Quidditch. We were freshmen, and I just thought to myself, there's no way this is going to work. This is going to be so dumb. Not so dumb after all. Eleven years later, the game is played by thousands of athletes all over the world. Although players are often asked some unusual questions. Alex Brown. What is the snitch? Do you wear a cape? How do you fly? Uh, do you really use brooms? <sighs> Who would have thought this sport would catch on? 
Well, even before any of the eight blockbuster Harry Potter movies were made, author J.K. Rowling was ready to line up. I will be right at the front of the queue wanting to see Quidditch, actually see it, because I've seen this in my head for so many years, and actually that's, that's the one bit I really want to see. The movie laid out the game with its wizards on broomsticks. It had to be on broomsticks. I, I mean, it just had to be. And giant hoops for gold. Earthbound Quidditch still has hoops and balls. Sadly, players can't fly. Instead, they simply hold a broomstick between their legs. Alex Brown and Missy Sponagle admit the broom thing takes some getting used to. What's the point of having the broom between your legs? You know, why you have to dribble a basketball? Because someone invented this sport and said, you got to dribble a basketball. Why do you have to have a broom between your legs for this? Because it's Quidditch. But the question is, you're a man, mm -hmm. and that's a broom. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. I think everyone recommends wearing a cup, and no one does. Then there's the role of that little golden ball with wings called the snitch. Catch it and you end the game. But in real life Quidditch, snitches are yellow people. Is there a personality type that, because you guys... Usually extroverted. Yeah. Um, I mean, extroverted people, like, we, we like to do a lot of fun stuff. We like to pump up the crowd. A little bit like uh, Rodeo Clown? Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's, that's yeah, actually not too far dignified, off. Dignified. Um, dignified Rodeo Clowns. Dignified? Note the ball in a sock hanging off each butt. Snatching that snitch sock still ends the game. But getting hold of it can be a real challenge. My specialty is, is throwing and tossing. <laughs> And you enjoy this? Yeah, no, it's therapeutic. <laughs> Even with all these undeniable displays of athleticism, Quidditch still doesn't get much respect. In the movie The Internship, it's the Golden Snitch! Who the f is this now? Quidditch is a game that's played for laughs. There are sports that are socially acceptable, and for whatever reason, Quidditch isn't socially acceptable yet. But Alex and his girlfriend Missy claim since it's co-ed, Quidditch is great for couples. You know, I can give her an assist. She can score a goal off my pass. It's awesome. It's really cool. What does the future hold for the fastest growing sport based on a fantasy series filled with wizards and magic wands? We, we got this, guys. Come on. With a little help from the Quidditch Referee of the Year, Alex Shear. Quidditch is going pro. I am working with a group of individuals on starting the first professional Quidditch league. And yes, there will be Quidditch trading cards. You get a lot of people who resist Quidditch. They, they try to fight it and they try to ignore it and block it out. But it's one of those things, you can't fight it. It's, it's coming. Hey, good game. Great job, man. Next. Music legend Bonnie Raitt. What do you think? I can't think at all. And later, Troy's mother to us all. Fight for her. Catching up with actor. That's why we had to move. Eric Banner. We had to move. We had to get out of here. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Charles Osgood. Bonnie Raitt had a big hit with Thing Called Love back in 1989. Nearly three decades later, the love between Raitt and her fans is very much mutual. Tracy Smith visits with a music legend. Got them juices flowing while well, I ain't flowing yet? Get ready. At the historic Orpheum Theater in Boston last month, a sellout crowd greeted Bonnie Raitt like an old friend. When you look out and you see, once again, I've sold out. It's pretty great. I don't take it for granted, but it's really fantastic. How do you feel? I'm lonely. With her trademark fiery hair, Bonnie Raitt is a rock and roll Hall of Famer with a guitar that sounds, as she puts it, like bacon smells. She's a 10-time Grammy winner. Are you ready for the with 20 albums to her name. At 66, Bonnie Raitt is still rocking and thankful that she still can. All of us that get to do this this many decades in are just so aware of how lucky we are. And um, the other 22 hours of the day aren't anywhere near as fun, but it's, it's worth it. I get a sense that gratitude is very important to you. That's true. I don't think anybody's ever mentioned that before, but I think it's probably the closest thing to religion that I have is just being grateful. This is breathtaking. We are so lucky that we had this beautiful day. It's great. Hikers in these canyons above Los Angeles can find wildflowers and maybe the occasional rattlesnake. Bonnie Raitt comes here for inspiration. This is the middle of the work week and we're out here. Do you write out in this kind of environment? I do. I write lyrics. I don't, I don't like, start bursting into song because I never know who's going to be around. <laughs> but... A lot of the lyric writing, I don't sit in the house. In the daytime, if I'm working on lyrics, a lot of them I'm, I'm at the beach or walking in these canyons. It works out great. I recommend it. And this has always been home. Bonnie Raitt grew up in Los Angeles and in the music business. Her mother, Marge, played piano. Big brother Steve became a much-respected sound engineer. And her father, John Raitt, was one of the all-time greats of musical theater. I loved you. He was the original Billy Bigelow in Carousel and was a familiar face on Broadway, on TV, and on the big screen. He performed well into his 80s, long enough to duet with his superstar daughter. What was it like singing with your dad? The greatest. I mean, of all the many duets that I've done in my life, the ones with my dad were my favorite. She used to be known as John Raitt's daughter, he once said. Now I'm known as Bonnie Raitt's father. <laughs> Bonnie's own career path was a bit less traditional. In 1967, she left California for Boston and Radcliffe and a few years later left Radcliffe to sing the blues. But her big commercial breakthrough didn't happen until 1989 
with her Grammy-winning hit album, Nick of Time. By then, she'd been living the rock and roll life on the road for close to 20 years and had finally kicked the drinking problem that went with it. Is there a little bit of a fear as an artist that you'll lose your edge if you don't have that yeah, rock and roll lifestyle? Absolutely, and, and I think almost anybody in my line of work you could ask, and writers too, they're worried about they're gonna they'll lose their muse. And in fact, some people have made kind of more namby-pamby art after they've straightened up. And I didn't want that to be me. I was the last of the Red Hot Blues Mamas, you know. I had a reputation to keep, man. No worries there. Her reputation as a rocker is intact. But now, after a failed marriage, the passing of her parents, and the death of her older brother Steve from cancer, Bonnie Raitt admits she's turned an emotional corner. It's hard to say now who left first. Used to seem so clear. Her latest album, Dig In Deep, may be her most personal. On the final cut, The Ones We Couldn't Be, she laments what might have been. Sorry for the one I couldn't be. I'm sorry you couldn't be who I needed, and I'm sorry I couldn't. It's, there's no fault. It's just sad. You know, it's just sometimes you just have to feel those things, those, that regret. And there's a couple of other songs on the record that really are more, I wasn't deliberate about re regret, but that's really what they're about. Do you have regrets? Uh, well, not in the decisions I've made over the years. I mean, if I could have talked to my younger self, I would have probably said get more sleep and lighten up on the partying a little sooner than you did. We all have our little regrets, but the big ones I don't regret. They've made, including this latest album, they've made your music in a way. Yeah, I mean, mistakes and all, it's all there. So At times, the blues have become reality. Holidays become tougher when three people out of your nuclear family are gone. That's true. Comes with this age. Does music help you through that? If I listen to too much sad music or classical music, I break down. You know, if I'm in a movie theater and there's a really sad soundtrack, if I start crying, then I, I'm in the dark, and I'm going, what else, didn't I, what else didn't I cry about? And I kind of like bring back the things I didn't have time for, and I just get it all out. So, you know, there's times when you want to feel sad. Sundays are sad because you can't call your folks anymore. Certain pieces of music. But um, I think playing music can really help. Dr. Feelgood sitting on a concrete bench. Can I get a witness? And maybe that's why she's still selling out shows. There's an emotional depth to that voice and that guitar that never seems to get old for the fans or for her. When you woke up, baby, your life had come and gone. Now you're mystified, you're standing with the rest of us. Who used to rule the world. When you got that record deal at 21, did you envision how your career would turn out or how you hoped it would? I just said, man, if I can keep it together, this is too much fun. I hope I can do this into my 70s and 80s. Like, 
like my blues heroes and folk music heroes were doing. You had that cognition back I, at Well, I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if I lived that long, but I knew I wasn't gonna retire and raise kids and to give it up if I didn't have to. I mean, who would give this life up if you didn't have to? Yeah, you mystified with the rest of us. A few kind words regarding the Tooth Fairy. A program note now. In his commentary last Sunday, our Jim Gaffigan apparently caused considerable consternation in many households by taking issue with the Tooth Fairy. One viewer wrote this, Did you really just ruin the Tooth Fairy for millions of American children? Well, for what it's worth, that was not our intent at all. Believers should go right on believing. We wouldn't want to discourage any child from leaving a tooth under their pillow in expectation of a visit. Whether speaking of molars or even incisors, we're hearing a lot from some would-be advisors. And we've learned, we confess, an immutable truth. Never mess with the fairy of tooth. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Eric Bana is one very busy and very driven actor. Even so, he found time to talk about roles, past and present, with our Seth Doan. You may remember him battling Brad Pitt as Prince Hector in Troy. Do you know why we're here? Or as an Israeli intelligence agent in Steven Spielberg's Munich. or starring as Bruce Banner in the blockbuster The Hulk. But the body of work actor Eric Bana may be most proud of is this. Come on in, mate. Wow. His 1974 Ford XB Falcon Coupe. Bana bought it when he was 15. He's crashed it, rebuilt it, and customized almost every bit of it. What was it that you just loved about this car? Well, you remember the movie Mad Max? This is the same car that Max had in the film, and it's my favorite film of all time. And I just think they're beautiful, and they're muscular, and they're getting extremely rare. He paid just over $1,000 for it more than three decades ago, and has no idea how many hours he spent under the hood. Can we take it out? It would be criminal not to. On the streets of Melbourne, Australia, Hollywood feels far away, and maybe that's the point. It's a flashback thing. I mean, when I sit in this car and I drive and I look out through that windscreen, it's like, you know, I've spent three quarters of my life looking at that windscreen. Before he became one of Australia's best-known movie stars, he was just a kid from a working-class Melbourne family. He drove us to the neighborhood where he grew up. So this is the old house here? Yeah, yeah. Grew up here, spent most of my time actually in the, in the garage out the back. As much time in the garage as in the house, pretty much. It was here that he first discovered he had a gift for impersonations. I started out doing impressions of other family members, 
grandfather, uncles, aunties, and then doing the occasional famous person um, and getting attention for it and getting out of trouble. Get, being able to get out of trouble by having a party trick was, was where the power lay. What do you mean out of trouble? Like you're gonna get beaten up and you impersonate someone? And, like, what do you <laughs> yeah, mean? at the train station, someone's got you in a headlock and you pull out a <laughs> Columbo on. impression or something. Not quite, no, I mean at school, I found the teachers were far more lenient if, if you could make them laugh. Hey, hey you! The quick dry wit of an actor who started in comedy was immediately clear oh. when machinery interrupted our interview. Are there times where you've Are there times where you've made a film? Uh, are, I'll just keep there going. Are times, there are times <laughs> oh, there where I wish I had my own forklift. <laughs> that beeping sound is my chauffeur. He's a forklift driver. Vanna had a reputation for joking here. around, uh, not just in boy. school, but um, at the many odd jobs he had growing up. In a way, your career started here. Right, right here, right in that corner over there. This pub where he was a busboy would feature stand-up comedians, and one night a guy he worked with had an idea. And he pulled me aside, he was a mate of mine, he said, you carry on like an idiot after work for the staff. You should do some of that stuff on stage. Banna ultimately got his act on TV. Tom Cruise, welcome to Australia. It's a pleasure, Ray and developed a following on an Australian sketch comedy show. And we tell him, we've got two screws hostage and we've taken the entire division to siege. But it was his role as a convicted murderer in the popular Australian film Chopper that made Hollywood take notice. Nothing's ever forgotten, Blue. It's just human bloody nature. Director Ridley Scott was so impressed with his performance that he cast him in Black Hawk Down without an audition. Class, man, very smooth. The silence is broken by the caterpillar tracks of two roped tanks whose tracks are biting into the dust. Now he's going back to war, this time with a comedic twist. In a new Netflix film, Special Correspondence, Banna jumped at the chance to work opposite Ricky Gervais. I'm like, are you serious? Like he actually, he'll permit me to go and be in the film with him. That was my first reaction. It's really nice to be such a huge fan of someone that you can't imagine working with them. This is Frank Bonneville, live from Ecuador. In the comedy written and directed by Gervais, Banna plays a radio reporter who the pretends to cover a foreign war, a but never leaves his hometown. This place might be a rebel stronghold, but these are kind people, it's simply not in their nature. In real life, Banna is happy to spend time in his hometown too, being in Melbourne with his wife and kids, and of course, near that car. One of the problems with being an actor is, there's nothing I can do about being an actor today other than read a script. You know, what a useless skill to have. <laughs> An absolutely useless skill. Yeah. You're not sitting in your office putting on plays for yourself. <laughs> well, what time is it? There's a matinee this afternoon. So. Oh, great. But working on your car gives you something tangible. Yeah, at the end of the day, I can see that I've done a good or bad job on something, um, and it takes you out of your own out of your own head. And tinkering with the car is more than a hobby. He keeps it tuned up so he can race. After years of anticipation and literally dreaming of this moment, it was finally here. In 2009, he combined his two passions and produced a documentary called Love the Beast, 
which chronicles his preparations and competition in a hair-raising street race in Tasmania. I know that adrenaline is involved, but it's almost the opposite to me. It's very, very calming, very relaxing. It's one of the few things that you can do where the only pressure comes from, comes from myself. Looking back at his career, it seems Banna is almost surprised by his success. He likened the chance to play leading, serious roles in Hollywood to being admitted into an exclusive club. It's like I got a pass and I got in there and they didn't know about the comedic background and it was kind of like having a fake passport. And so when these jobs kept coming my way, I was like, well, this is, this is kind of the dream. This is what I always wanted to do. I just didn't think this would ever happen because you didn't think it would happen or you didn't think you could do it? I didn't think the opportunity would present itself. Now Eric Bana is just enjoying the ride. There we go. I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. Ahead, the redeeming power of friendship. Can bitter enemies eventually become best of friends? Indeed they can, and Steve Hartman has proof. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. 
So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Next. This kind of treatment should be available for everyone who suffers from this. Actress Kathy Bates on a medical mission. And later, dolphins with a national park to call home. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. girls. I'm older and I have more insurance. It's Sunday morning on CBS and here again is Charles Osgood. Kathy Bates played a woman charting her own course in the 1991 film Fried Green Tomatoes. In real life, she also does things her own way, only for much higher stakes. Lee Cowan has a Sunday profile. When Academy Award winner Kathy Bates asked us to come to her doctor's appointment recently. We weren't sure what to expect. Ready? After all, why would anyone want cameras in an exam room? Especially an acclaimed Hollywood actress. Are you experiencing any pain, any discomfort? Uh, no, but sometimes in this place right here, I get soreness. But this is something Bates wants people to see. Modesty be damned. I just so believe in, 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 in what we're trying to do here. Now, don't be afraid. I love you. We've come to know her through some pretty memorable characters. I'm very sorry, but... You say you're sorry one more time and I'll kick your butt up so high you'll look like a hunchback. Please, mister, please. Rock solid and often timber strong. We've got to crush them and sweep them up. From now on, you can call me the Dust Buster. You know, honey child, I'm stronger than dirt. Thank you. I hope you're feeling well. But after surviving both ovarian cancer and breast cancer, Kathy Bates found herself in yet another battle, one that needed all the strength of her characters combined. You probably notice I'm wearing what we call a compression sleeve, Mm -hmm. and it's elastic, and it keeps the arm, maintains its size. Her left arm, and to a lesser extent her right, are swollen with fluid, a chronic condition called lymphedema. Yeah, that's painful. Right here. Yeah. It first reared its head after doctors removed 22 lymph nodes as part of her double mastectomy four years ago. I went berserk. I went nuts. And for a long time after that, I was really, really angry because I thought, great. Now I gotta deal with this. Lymph nodes process fluid and carry it around the body. Without the lymph nodes, the fluid backs up, causing the swelling. The condition requires daily management and frequent visits to a lymphedema specialist who manually coaxes the fluid back into Bates' system through massage or a special pressure cuff, like this one. Is it painful? No. No, it feels good. and. I just lie here and sort of zone out and take a nap for 30, 40 minutes. Lymphedema by itself is not fatal, but it can be terribly disfiguring and debilitating, 
and it's hardly rare. As many as 10 million people suffer from it in the U.S. alone. And that is more than a host of more other... More than MS, muscular dystrophy, ALS, Parkinson's, and AIDS combined. So how long have you lived here now? Uh, probably about 17 years. I think I bought it, it didn't help that when Bates was diagnosed, she was going through a professional rough patch. After 32 years of practice as a very successful patent attorney, I've discovered that patent law is boring. Harriet, you're fired. She had just gotten the news that NBC was taking her show, Harry's Law, off the air. One of the, the main reasons that our show was canceled was because our audience was too old. That's what they told you. <laughs> yeah. And then you think, okay, that means maybe I'm too old. And then you have a double mastectomy. And so it was like, okay, it's over. Really Everything's over. Oh, yeah, I really did. Congratulations, kiddo. You are the new maid. Maid? Have you any idea with whom you are speaking? But then came FX's American Horror Story, where Bates not only shined, she found her footing again. The work on that show has just rejuvenated my life, my energy, my outlook. I, I feel like I have something to look forward to. You know, she even got to the point that she started joking about her mastectomy. I sure do love chicken pot pie. Like when they were trying to shoot this artsy shot underneath her arm. So they were saying, oh, we're having a problem. And I said, what is it? And they said, well, there's this shape on the side. And I looked at it and I said, that's my breast. I said, I can take that out. <laughs> and they were like, oh. I said, no, no, it's easy. It's fake. You know, and I went off and I pulled that prosthetic out. <laughs> and we got the shot. And it was like, you know, there's always a silver lining. <laughs> Born in Memphis, Tennessee, acting was in Bates' blood, at least according to her mom, as far back as the delivery room. She said that when the doctor smacked me on my behind, I thought it was applause, and I've been looking for it ever since. <laughs> and I have to say, I think she's right. I'm just such a ham. <laughs> there were doubters along the way, those who said she wasn't conventionally attractive enough to be a real actress. Well, you know, your upper arms are too heavy, and um, you really have a more maternal look about you. And, you know, I really don't think you're going to make it much in your early years. It's going to be later, you know, when you get older. And I thought, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that on TV. But Did it that turned, hurt your feelings? Uh, yeah, yeah, that hurt my feelings a lot. But it, it, it all kind of turned out to be right. God's sake. It's for the best. Indeed, it did. Almost done. Just one more. The role that put her on the map, playing the deranged Annie Wilkes in Misery, didn't come along until Bates was 42. God, I love you. By Hollywood standards, that's... Over the hill. <laughs> late bloomer. But there was vindication, I guess, mm -hmm. for me, right? It really was. Her performance won her a Golden Globe and an Oscar. She was a star. And one night, walking down a street with fellow actor Alec Baldwin, it all hit. And they were screaming for Alec, and then they were screaming for me. And I was like, oh my God, overnight, it's me. Oh my God, I'm famous. This is amazing. She signed plenty of autographs. But later that night, while taking her dog for a walk, something happened. And I realized, oh my God, I don't have anything to clean up after him with. <laughs> 
Uh-oh. And then right away my, my head just goes to, it's going to be in the tabloids. And finally I find this piece of paper on the ground and I pick it up and it had my autograph on it. Oh my God, really? Well, there's a down to earth moment. That was a message from heaven. Yeah, <laughs> settle down. <laughs> that lesson in humility has never left her. Oh, what a night. Maybe that's how she could so easily share a hot tub with Jack Nicholson. That and a little liquid courage. Were you nervous? Oh yeah, I had a couple of cosmopolitans before I got in there. Did you really? I really did. Brave on screen and off. But there is no script for lymphedema, which makes this perhaps her bravest role of all. There you go. Bates recently became the spokeswoman for the Lymphatic Education and Research Network, showing others like her that life can go on. We encourage them to come out of the closet, so to speak, to share their stories and hopefully find some comfort in realizing that they're not alone. What's the matter with you? It's your men out there. Like the unsinkable Molly Brown aboard the Titanic. There's plenty of room for more. Kathy Bates isn't about to go down without a fight, no matter how public her private struggle becomes. Have you taken on more than you were expecting you were going to take on? I didn't know what I was saying yes to. And the more I learn about it, the more angry I am. I feel I have to do something about it. And if I can use my celebrity for something real, then that's what I want to do. Ahead. A shipwreck is a unique viewpoint into a moment in time. Connor Knighton on a watery trail. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Connor Knighton's destination this week is Biscayne National Park off the coast of Florida. And this time he has some very special company. Dolphins are smart. And these seem to know just what I'm thinking. Popping up out of the water as if to say, hey, just wait. There's more to this park than meets the eye. When you come to Biscayne National Park, what you see is the ocean, a flat horizon. That's only the smallest fraction of what Biscayne National Park has to offer. 95% of Biscayne's 173,000 acres is covered with water. It's a park best explored by boat. But even then, the best scenery lies just beneath the surface. Biscayne protects a stretch of the Florida Reef, just south of Miami. The reef, which is home to a staggering amount of aquatic life, is also a watery grave for over a hundred shipwrecks. Where I'm sitting right now is uh, the inside of the starboard side of the vessel. Ranger Charles Lawson is an archaeologist and cultural resource manager at the park. This is a, a concreted pile of mostly cannonballs. He and his team work to preserve the shipwrecks and their stories. That history is all here. It's, it's all out there in the water, and you can't see it unless you really get down in there and, and, and look. That means getting into a wetsuit. If it doesn't work, you get your mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Strapping on scuba gear and taking a dive. 
park has designated six of the wrecks as part of an underwater maritime heritage trail. Signs on the ocean floor tell the stories of wrecks like the Lugano, a 350-foot cargo ship which sank back in 1913. At the time that it sank, it was the largest vessel that had ever come to grief on the Florida Reef track. The Florida Reef, next to popular shipping lanes, was famously difficult to navigate. Many ships had crashed into, into the reef known as Foey Rocks. So many that in 1878, construction of the Foey Rocks Lighthouse was underway. During construction, workers would sometimes spend the night on the lighthouse platform, including the night the Aratun Apgar approached. And they saw the lights of that steamer coming straight at them. They did everything they could to warn it off of the reef, but to no avail. Bound for Cuba, the ship ground to a halt just 100 yards from the lighthouse, where it still sits today. An unbuilt lighthouse is not nearly as effective as a completed one. Boating from site to site, you have to be careful. The reef still claims vessels. The Mandalay was a luxury yacht that sank in the early hours of 1966. And waters shallow enough to snorkel in. The passengers had been celebrating the arrival of the new year. A shipwreck is a unique viewpoint into not even just one day, but a moment in time where a group of people who had everything they needed to survive at that point in history took all of that material and deposited it at one moment on the seafloor. While the wrecks contain evidence of their past lives, so those are old shoes that we were looking at on the boat? Yeah, the yeah, heels. The heels, the heels, the shoes. We usually find them down there. Today, they're part of the reef, colonized by a new group of passengers who call them home. Under the park's protection, this underwater museum preserves the story of the human history of South Florida. Their motto? Take only pictures, leave only bubbles. Submitted for your approval, a commentary from a familiar member of our Sunday morning family, all about her new book, Approval Junkie. I'm Faith Saley, and I'm an approval junkie. Let me just get that part out of the way in full disclosure, because full disclosure is what my book's about. I write about undergoing an exorcism of sorts to please my ex-husband, trying to win over Bill O'Reilly when I was on his show. With us now, social observer Faith Saley. All right, so when has it become enough's enough? And creating no fewer than three Curious George birthday cakes for my two-year-old in case one or two didn't work out. Those are just some of the many, many things I've done for validation. Now, we live in a culture where it's cool to say, I don't care what other people think. Nobody cares. I don't care what people say. And probably not politically correct, but I don't care. Kids today have an acronym, I-D-G-A-F, which means I don't give a mm, something I can't say on Sunday morning. I'm skeptical of people who say they don't care. For most of us, approval feels good, even if we wish we could transcend our hunger for it. A good job from your boss, an engagement ring, a Father's Day card, a pat on the back from your therapist. Approval matters. It's even a developmental milestone. Your kids, at least when they're little, are supposed to want your applause. Hooray! Hooray! 
I clap for my daughter when she eats broccoli. Because she gets my approbation, she doesn't get scurvy. If you watch this show regularly, then you may enjoy my work. Hi, Dad. If you don't love my work, perhaps you let the entire world know about it through tweets or comments online. I try not to read them, but sometimes disapproval is inescapable. So for folks who proclaim they don't care what anyone else thinks, I suggest they set the bar higher. I'm an approval junkie, not because I live and die by what others think of me, but because I'm lucky enough to work for and with smart people who inspire me. Do I want their approval? Sure I do. In a world where so many claim not to care, we could use more people trying hard, more kids eating veggies, more adults writing thank you notes. The point is, it's okay to be an approval junkie if you continue to seek your own approval, to stretch yourself, surprise yourself, maybe even occasionally embarrass yourself. I'm Faith Saley, and I approve this message. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.